Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, it's Nick from True Crime Garage, and you're listening to this great show, so you obviously love True Crime Podcast. Well, Stitcher's hosting True Crime Week, where they're showcasing the creepiest and most gruesome true crime podcasts, including ours. Download the Stitcher app and check out their curated homepage to find your next true crime podcast obsession. And don't forget, Stitcher's the only place to listen to our older archive episodes. And if you sign up for Stitcher Premium, you'll get access to our bonus episodes too. So go to stitcherpremium.com and sign up with the code GARAGE and go check out True Crime Week. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a guy that you gotta watch out for because he's moving in next door and opening up a spite store. Here is the captain. More like I'm moving into your mother's house. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very proud to be featuring Bonfire by the good folks over at Napa Smith Brewery. Bonfire is a fantastic imperial porter that should be enjoyed fireside with friends. Bonfire Porter is rich and complex, unlike myself, as I am poor and simple. ABV 8%, garage grade 3 and 3 quarter bottle caps out of 5. And this week, we start off the shouts with a big thank you and cheers to Jana K., in Texas. And a big we like your jib to Rebecca in Roanoke, Virginia. Here's a cheers, Captain, to Jesse in Gardner, Kansas. And here's another good shout out, Missy from Memphis. Here's a double cheers, Captain, to Erica and Canyon in Washington State. And last but certainly not least, we have a big thank you and we like your jib to Jennifer in Wichita Falls, Texas. Everyone that we just mentioned, well, they contributed to this week's beer fund. And for that, we think you're pretty awesome. Yeah, thanks for the funds for the BWRUN beer run. And make sure you go to truecrimegarage.com, click on the store page. We got new stuff in stock, new shirts in stock, but we also have a pre-order going on right now for a hoodie. Hurry, hurry, they will sell out. It's getting cold fast. Get your hoodies now. That is enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. With over 500 episodes, the television show Unsolved Mysteries is a household name. 
The show first aired on the NBC network on January 20th, 1987. This show went on to cover hundreds of real-life unsolved mysteries over the course of the next 15 seasons. Many of us remember tuning in each week to see Robert Stack stepping out of the smoke, wearing a trench coat, and telling us about alien abductions, conspiracy theories, and ghost stories. This week's true crime story, like some of the others we have covered here in the garage, was featured on the show. Today, we explore a story that is so much more than a unsolved mystery. It is really a bundle of many small mysteries, all tied together with the unfortunate loss of a very loved man. This big mystery starts as just a simple question for a woman named Allison. And for her, that question was, where is my husband? He was supposed to be at home, working, but he was not. Sensing that something was just not right, she went to look for him. Soon, the entire family was looking for this man. And then the police joined in. And this question became a missing persons case. Then, the questions not only grew in number, but they got louder and louder. As missing posters went up, and suddenly a city was looking for a man named Ray Rivera. His body was eventually found in an old hotel. But how did he get there, and why? Nothing seemed to add up. And over time, this mystery goes nowhere. It just sort of sits there and goes cold. No one can seem to agree on just what the hell happened. This is a true story. Did Ray Rivera commit suicide? Or was he the victim of foul play? Join us. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. Omar Rivera was born on June 10th, 1973 to Angel and Maria Rivera. Ray had an older brother named Angel and a sister, Elena. At the time of his disappearance, Ray was just 32 years old and recently worked as a finance writer and a video contractor. Now, many of you from listening to today's trailer already know what case we are talking about. And that is because when Unsolved Mysteries came out in July of this year on Netflix, one of the stories was titled Mystery on the Rooftop, and it was all about the mysterious death of 32-year-old Ray Rivera. Ray died in Baltimore, Maryland in May of 2006, but the how and the why are the Unsolved Mysteries here. Let's start off with some background information and some key events and dates leading up to Ray's disappearance and death. In 2004, Ray and his girlfriend Allison moved from California to Baltimore, Maryland. This is for the purpose of Ray taking a job working for his longtime friend from high school, Frank Porter Stansberry. Porter Stansberry is the founder of Stansberry and Associates, which operates under the larger company, Agora Publishing. Ray is a writer, more specifically a screenplay writer. Ray was hired to be an editor for the financial newsletter that is called The Rebound Report. Sounds like they're describing my dating life. Now, Captain, I think that it's important to mention that Ray does not seem to have any real financial background. He has a writing background, and as said, It will be his job to be the editor of the financial investing newsletter called The Rebound Report. Well, it seems like this is a pretty big shift in his life and in his career. Yeah, The Rebound Report offers investment advice. Specifically, it tells you these one-time high-performing, high-valued stocks that have not been doing so well as of late. Well, they are about to make a comeback. And here is why they're going to make a comeback. So it is time for you to buy these stocks while they are still low. 
Now, Allison says on Unsolved Mysteries that Ray took the job so he and Allison could get married. Some sources say it was to purchase a ring for her, but regardless, this move does not overly seem like a desirable one for Ray, Mm -hmm. but the job seems to me, Captain, like maybe some sort of sacrifice he's willing to make so that he and Allison could start their marriage life together off on the right foot. Yeah, anybody in the arts know that it's a struggle. He's with this girl that he loves, and she wants to move things forward, and he probably felt like he wasn't able to afford them moving forward in his current position. And also, they moved across the country. True. And, I mean, as you're pointing out here, I mean, even Stephen King, one of the most successful authors of our lifetime, he started off as an English teacher because you need some kind of base, some kind of income to build your family life and your life around while you pursue your dreams. If not, you're just a starving artist. Mm-hmm. So likely what they want to do here, the goal I'm guessing is to have a good financial foothold to start off their marriage. Plus, not only would this be steady income for Ray, the cost of living in Baltimore has got to be less than Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So it makes all kinds of financial sense. And also he's getting this opportunity from one of his friends that is successful. Yes. I think that when your buddy that is successful and maybe you look up to him in that way and he's saying, Hey, come over here and I can help you get, get where I'm at. Yeah. It's certainly an opportunity in December of 2004. Ray and Allison purchased their home in Baltimore. This is for about $280,000. After this, Ray starts to express some unhappiness regarding his job. Different sources state different reasons for Ray's occupational unhappiness. Allison recalls that the job was simply just not a good fit for Ray. Allison says Ray was not a desk guy or your typical nine to five type of person. One thing that is so important to any relationship, be it marriage or otherwise, Ray and Allison had a set of shared goals, and their plan was not to stay in Baltimore forever. As said, Ray and Allison were both working hard to build a good little foundation, and a short-term and very realistic goal for them was to move back to California. Now, I don't have an exact date for this next event in the timeline, I've seen this listed as early as the summer of 2005, but I actually think it was more likely later in the year of 05, but Ray quit his editing job. And according to everything I could find that this was on good terms. So now done with the newsletter job, Ray started a video production company. He took out a $15,000 cash advance from Allison's credit card to buy equipment. Ray and his new startup gets some contract work producing videos for the Agora company. On Saturday, November 5th, 2005, the happy couple Ray and Allison get married in Isabella, Puerto Rico. You can see some of the video footage from the wedding on Unsolved Mysteries. Both Ray and Allison are tall and good looking and they both look extremely happy in the videos. Yeah. Now here is a weird event on the timeline on December 27th, 2005, a friend of Ray's and an employee of Agora. This is Tom Hickling dies in a car accident while visiting his daughter in Africa. It is said that Ray was quite suspicious of this death. Don't you think that, raises some kind of red flag if your husband or your partner somebody at their work died now now they're not in the united states they're in a different country Mm -hmm. but they're going that's suspicious if they died maybe within the country right it's to me it's more of a red flag that he's suspicious of a death that happened even in another country like, but also, who it, are you working with? It's also a red flag. Is this some sort of paranoia that's setting in that it's not realistic for him to be suspicious about this death? 
Right. You know, you could go either way with it. And it's really weird too, Captain, because I really wish that we knew more details regarding this death and why he believed it to be suspicious. I mean, we have his, his former wife and his friends who, who have said this, they've echoed this throughout the years that he was suspicious of this death. I don't know why though. Right. Was this guy into some kind of hot water with the company he was working for or, or did he have gambling debts? And like you said, if somebody is going to set this guy up, this Tom Hinckley guy to die in what is to look like an accident, Mm. they're going to have to go to the trouble of going all the way to Africa to do so. Now, maybe you go there and take care of business there, so to speak, because you don't think it's going to be investigated the way it would be investigated here. It's it's just really a, a difficult situation on the surface, but also a difficult situation to analyze his thoughts and feelings on it because we just don't have really any of the details regarding this whole event, this tragic event. Yeah, and it wouldn't be that big of a deal if, oh, this guy died in a car accident. I'm suspicious of that. Well, why? Ah, he was a drinker. Maybe he was driving drunk. Oh, well, that's a big difference between, I think, Possibly somebody killed him. Who? Possibly from the company I was working for and doing contract work for currently. But the the streets and the traffic and traffic laws or lack of traffic laws in other countries, in some other countries, not all, and I don't know specifically what country this man was in when he we passed away, but they're quite chaotic, mm. the traffic itself. So, I mean, you can see... Some countries have a much higher rate of accidents than than others. So, it, I mean, it really could be could be anything. Um, didn't didn't TLC? Didn't we lose one of the members of TLC to some kind of vehicle accident in another country? Left eye. Yeah. Rest in peace, left eye. In the spring of two thousand and six, and I think this was in the month of April. Ray and Allison returned to Los Angeles. Now, one of the major reasons for this trip was to start planning their move back to Los Angeles. When they returned to Baltimore, according to Allison, she says there is a noticeable change in Ray's behavior and demeanor. She says Ray seems to be nervous, which is totally out of character for this guy. Again, another red flag. Yes. She says he is agitated and he seems annoyed. Maybe with her. I don't know with what. She's not specific on this. Mm-hmm. He says that um, she says that he was concerned or overly concerned about her doing things by herself, by her doing things alone. There's a particular story of Allison going on a pretty routine jog. This is roughly a week before Ray goes missing to which Ray insists on going with Allison. And he does go with her. He sits in the bleachers reading a book while she's running. During the run, a man enters the track area, and Ray, according to Allison, has some kind of reaction to this. He seems startled or whatever by this man being there. But this man was someone that was unknown to both Allison and if Ray knew this guy, he didn't tell her that he did. Well, think about that for a second. You just show up because you want to run around the track and all of a sudden this guy is causing a scene because he thinks you're there to hurt him or possibly him and his wife. And this guy, he leaves the area and for all we know, he could have just been, like you said, showing up to go for a run or just to pass her by. Now, I do want to point out that this, quote, change in behavior, well, it's only really suspicious if you believe that Ray was murdered or think that Ray was truly afraid of something or someone. Ray does not seem to tell anyone of this if he is, in fact, afraid of something specific. Yeah, but what point as the the spouse are you going to say, hey, I know we moved out here because your friend had this opportunity, but my first question in this case is, was this initial opportunity actually the job that Ray was telling her it was? Or was there something 
a little more involved that he may not have told her about was this opportunity on the up and up. Yeah, that I don't know and can't say for certain. It appears to me from everything I've seen that that the, the job that he was working was in fact the one that he was offered long distance before he moved out there. Right, but we don't, again, we have a guy that's suspicious of people's death that work at that company. Right, and I think what I'm trying to point out here is what I would really like to know from those closest to Ray when they observe this change in behavior, is this something that clicked for them right away? You know, when he got back from LA, was this something that was just so obvious to them then? Mm-hmm. Or is this only something that they are seeing now in hindsight where they're going, well, something happened to this poor man. Oh, and now, oh, now come to think of it, he was acting a little strange. Right. He was acting a little different. You know, it only is suspicious in itself if it if you think something horrible happened to that this guy was set up or killed right the other thing that i want to point out here too again i'm going back to let's say he is agitated let's say he is afraid of something because that's what allison says but again he doesn't say anything specific to anyone that we are aware of he doesn't say hey This happened and this happened and I'm afraid for my wife. I'm afraid for me because of A, B, and C. He doesn't say that to anybody. This is all him behaving a certain way and people later saying that they noticed some kind of change in him. You have to wonder, since he does not cite anything specific to the people closest to him at the time, could this just be something in regards to his environment that does not have anything to do with him personally on a personal level right because ray is relatively new to the area of baltimore as a whole i mean we just talked about that he just moved out there in 2004 he disappears in 2006 baltimore has a higher violent crime rate than most cities is there a chance that this is something that he just recently became aware of baltimore had 269 homicides in 2005 Now, that may seem like a low number as Baltimore has managed to score over 300 homicides each of the last five years, but for 2005, 269 murders is a high number. Days before Ray goes missing, Ray spends time reading The Builders. It's a story and study of masonry. This is by Joseph Fort Newton. There's a different version, a few different versions of this book. The one that I'm referencing here is from 1914. So it's a new release. On Sunday, May 14th, Ray and Allison go to church. This is a regular weekend activity for this young married couple. Allison overhears Ray leaving a voicemail for someone. There's a couple different versions of this story, Captain. Some say that he excused himself from the church service. The other report is that this was shortly after church was Mm -hmm. over. Regardless, what is the same in all the reports I could find is that this is coming from Allison, his wife, who says that she overheard her husband, Ray, leaving a voicemail for someone. She says that he says something like, Hey man, give me a call back. I finally got it all figured out. And that's as much as she says that she hears. So who is this call to? Now I couldn't find anything to formally back up this next statement, but this next statement comes from a Reddit post that says that Allison at some point later learns that the phone call was to Ray's friend, Porter, who he worked for. And this post goes on to say, when questioned by Angel, Ray's brother, Porter says he didn't know what it was about or what Ray meant by the the, the message. Hey, call me back. He wasn't expecting a call and did not know what the, the message meant. Mm-hmm. The next day, This is Monday, May 15th. The Rivera's have a home security system, and the alarm goes off at about 1 a.m. Now, police do respond to this alarm, and they tell Ray and Allison after 
looking around and checking everything out, did they believe that it was likely that a squirrel or some type of wildlife had caused the alarm to go off? Now, this is a little weird, and Allison says this is super weird to her because they had lived there for some time and the alarm had never gone off before. About 24 hours later, this is sometime in the early hours of May 16th, the home security alarm goes off again. And on Unsolved Mysteries, Allison says that this is one of the front downstairs windows. And given her description, this appears to be a window that could be easily accessible from the outside. Yeah, because I think they had some other windows, but there were bushes in the way. So maybe someone was trying to pry this window open or tamper with this window in some fashion in the middle of the night in the dark. I do question this a little bit. Like, I'm not saying that, that she's wrong or wrong to be suspicious. It seems very weird to me that the alarm would go off two nights in a row and they've lived there for months and it's never gone off before. So that I agree with her 100% seems very strange to me. What I kind of question is the location and knowing what I know about security, this does not, this would not be the window that I would choose if I were wanting to gain access to the home. It's easily visible from the street It just doesn't seem like the type of window that someone would pick when you get to choose from multiple windows to try to enter a home. And later that morning, the morning of May 16th, Ray and Allison spend the morning together. And then Allison leaves to go out of town for a work trip. Yeah, and within hours of her leaving for that trip, Ray is going to go missing. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get 
their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to all. That morning, May 16th, Ray and Allison, they spent the morning together. Allison says that Ray made her breakfast. She carries... He carries her luggage out to the car. And again, Allison is leaving to go out of town for a work-related trip. She is going to Richmond, Virginia. Later that day, Ray talks to a Maryland Freemason member at the local Mason Lodge, talks to him about joining. Later, WBAL-TV 11 News questioned the member And he stated there was nothing unusual about this conversation, that it was a typical conversation of someone inquiring about a membership. Now, note, sometime leading up to this, Ray purchased a book called Freemasons for Dummies at a local bookstore. Freemasons for Dummies is your key to the history, beliefs, and rituals of Freemasonry. Here is the book description. It says, fascinated by Freemasons, Freemasons for Dummies is the international best-selling introduction to the Masons, the oldest and largest secret society in the world. This balanced, eye-opening guide demystifies Freemasonry, explaining everything from its elaborate rituals and cryptic rites to its curious symbols and their meanings. Find out what goes on in a Masonic meeting. You'll understand the true purpose of Masonic secrecy and philosophy. Meet famous Masons throughout history and discover related organizations like the Knights Templar, the Scottish Rite, Order of the Eastern Star, and the Shriners. Explore the controversies and conspiracy theories that swirl around this organization at the center of Dan Brown's novel, The Lost Symbol, and discover the changes coming to the craft. All right. But it's confusing to me. 
that somebody that's planning to head back to California is going to try to enter this group in Baltimore. Yes, that's a good point. But it would be like... Because they have chapters. Right. Yes. So essentially you could join in Baltimore and then relocate to California. That shouldn't be much of an issue. It's also, we don't have anybody to explain to us why he is carrying out these actions. Yeah, or if this was talked about months in advance, or if this was just, oh, my wife's gone, I got some time to kill. Let me go ask about the Freemasons. Well, we have Allison who tells us that he was reading the book, The Builders. So that's tied to the Freemasons. We know that he purchased this Freemasons for Dummies book at a local bookstore. I don't have a date on that. I've seen that it was the day that he went missing. I've also seen that it was the weekend before or a week before. Right. And one thing I want to point out here, too, I think with a lot of this information or lack thereof specific detailed information, is that the number one source for this case seems to be the episode of Unsolved Mysteries, not just for me and you here in the garage today. It seems like to everyone out in the whole big world. And because they're giving you a a report of this, they're not super detailed about days and times and things like that, as they don't want you to get kind of lost in the minutia of it when they have this bigger story to tell. And also what is their purpose? Their purpose is not to inform every detail. They're, purpose is to get some spotlight onto this case but also entertain you so most people aren't entertained by every little detail correct so i also want to point out here like people have really pointed to this all this activity that he seems to be doing with the the masons as again something suspicious or something to be worried about he's a wannabe screenwriter Mm-hmm. Is this well? He is a for... screenwriter. He just is not profiting off of it. Correct. Yeah. Is is this research for you know you write you write a lot of songs? I'm sure you do some research for the lyrics that you put into those songs. Yeah, I meet with different groups like the Freemasons and figure out how to write songs about them. Right, but I mean you're you're making light of what I'm saying, but it's it's not far fetched to say okay, um, Dan Brown's novel, The Lost Symbol, The Da Vinci Code, were huge books at the time. And oddly enough, if you want to try to tie in the Freemasons to Ray Rivera's death, it's weird that the, it's a little weird that the movie, The Da Vinci Code came out the same week that he went missing. No, I think your point is very valid. And I'd almost argue that it's It's more valid that he was doing research than actually wanting to join. Another interesting thing that happens that day, we have Ray who calls Chesapeake Systems and he speaks with a man named Adam Gold. This is an employee at Chesapeake Systems. He calls late in the afternoon and this is for the purpose of booking a video editing suite for the weekend so he could edit a video for a Stansberry Associates conference. Ray was an occasional customer of Chesapeake Systems. So Adam Gold was somewhat familiar and he knew Ray. And Gold says that the call was business as usual. Ray sounded normal, but maybe a little pressed for time. Sometime between 6 and 6.30 p.m., Allison checks into her hotel. Now, this is when she calls Ray. And she gets no answer. Allison calls the house guest that is staying at their house. Okay, so we have to explain this bit a little bit. And I think it's a little weird that they don't explain it in Unsolved Mysteries. This is this in itself is a mystery. There is a woman named Claudia. And the best description we get on the show is that it's a work colleague of Allison's Mm -hmm. that is staying at their house and is staying on the day that Ray happens to go missing. There's not a whole lot anywhere else that I could find that explains any more about this house guest. Are you sure that she works with Allison and didn't work with Ray? 
what I recall hearing and reading is that she is referred to as a colleague of Allison's. I could be, I could be wrong on that. So Claudia says when Allison calls and speaks with her, Claudia says that Ray got a phone call around six 30. He had a brief conversation with someone. And at the end of the call, Ray says, Oh shit. And then he runs out of the house in a hurry. She says that Ray returns a few minutes later for just a very brief moment and then leaves again. Yeah. And I believe they were both upstairs and I believe the rooms were connected, like being there was a wall just separating them. And so she could really kind of not only just hear what he was saying to the, the person on the other line, but she also talks about how he kind of thrust his chair out, mm-hmm. you know, like you were saying, you know, leaving in a hurry. Yeah. So the way that it's described is that Claudia would have been staying in what I'm a what I'm guessing is the guest room and that they had an upstairs office that Ray was, you know, he's working out of home at this point mm-hmm. for the most part. And I don't know if he shared, if he and Allison shared this space as an office space, but on that day, that's where he's working. And as you said, it's like next door to Claudia where she is staying. So he leaves in a hurry, returns very briefly for just a few minutes and then leaves again. There's no description given by Claudia or to the public anyway of what or why Ray returned to the house. It could have been something as simple as he left. It was a surprise to him that he was leaving and he, you know, oh, I forgot my keys. Phone, forgot my wallet. Forgot my wallet, forgot my my phone. The, the interesting thing about the wallet though is – um, one thing they state is that he left with like $20 in his pocket mm-hmm. and assuming that he left with his money clip as well. So I don't know that he actually had a wallet, but yes, he had um, money clip is same purpose as a wallet. His phone could have been the keys that he returned for. I don't want to throw a wrench into things. I don't believe she actually saw Ray when he returned. No, I'm guessing that she hears the commotion right. of all of this. She hears, oh shit, here's the 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 uh, chair move. And then he runs down the steps. She probably hears the door open and close, door open and close again. Yeah, because I've, I've seen on a couple online forums where they question if, it, if it's Ray. I would assume, like you said, because it was such a quick comeback to the house that it was something as simple as forgot his phone or his wallet or whatever. And it said that Ray left a soda, some chips, and his Invisalign retainer on the kitchen counter. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not certain if that means that he, he placed these items down there before leaving or if they were just already there and he left abruptly. Allison continues to try to reach Ray a couple more times that evening to no avail. She does find Ray's unavailability strange, but she says that she knew that Ray was very busy with his video projects. And it sounds like he had a a deadline coming up at some point. I do want to reference another source here, and this is a good source for people to check out in regards to this case. There's a book out there titled An Unexplained Death, The True Story of a Body at the Belvedere. And this is by Makita Brotman. In her book, she writes that Ray had left a website up. You know, when he leaves in this hurry, he's busy working at his computer and whatever it's believed he was looking at was still up uh, and running at a later point. Was it porno? Yes, it was porno. It was, because, I mean, I'm just saying it could be very embarrassing. Well, so the website that he left up was a website that gave the time of that day's sunrise and sunset. Mm, that's weird. Well, I can't say that he was looking up Baltimore specifically. I, I don't know if, if he you know was looking in his city or another city. You can look up cities right. all around the world. On that day, just for, for reference, on that day in Baltimore, the sunrise is listed at 5.52 a.m. And the sunset was set for 8.14 p.m. Right. 
I do know that people, uh, you know, directors, people that make movies like the film things, I don't know what it's called. There's a word for it, but there's like that magical hour of the day when you want to film things because of the way that it will look, especially the sky. That's actually a very good point. I didn't think about that. So knowing that that is his business at the time, mm-hmm. it might be something that is important to him, especially if he was planning a future um, project. Well, or, not even that though, but it doesn't have to be that time period. It, it could simply be, I'm going to meet these people at whatever time. I want to see what the daylight's going to look like because that's going to determine do I need to bring this camera or that camera or do I need to bring some lights with me? So that's definitely a, a tool that photographers and obviously filmmakers use. Another thing that's interesting, and this is just, it's one of those little tidbits where I found a statement, but I can't find anything to formally back it up was that Ray at some point within a short period of time before his disappearance had inquired or spoke to somebody about filming something from the Belvedere hotel from the top of the Belvedere hotel. There's no more detail that I could find on that, but then you go, okay, well, this is a major city. Does he want to get some footage from a top of a big building at night? You know, get the skyline, get the city all lit up, you know, very cinematic type type stuff. So any, anybody's guess there, Captain. You should be a director. I'm going to throw a little wrench into that idea uh, about him contacting the hotel because we have no way of knowing how he did that, whether it was by phone or in person. I think the speculation was it's just by phone, and all I'm going to put out there is somebody can call and easily say that they're Ray and not be Ray. Right, but again, I I don't know who the person was that he is supposed to have this conversation with. So I don't want to take it a step further and say that someone called the hotel or that this is a hotel employee. That information is not there. This could have simply been a friend that he mentioned this to. Right. So that evening on the 16th, Ray was on the receiving end of a phone call that Claudia has to believe led him to running out of the house in a hurry. And the short of it is that Ray never returns. Police state that the last phone call received by Ray originated from Fells Point. Unsolved Mysteries says it came from a switchboard at Stansberry and Associates. From my general understanding of this, Captain, it's possible that this could be from both, meaning someone could have called into Stansberry and Associates and get redirected or type in some type of extension and then get sent along to Ray's phone. Right. Later, Allison reviewed the phone bill from that day and is on record saying that there were only four calls that day and all of them were from Ray's work. And that's about as far along as we get of a description of who could have been calling Ray, especially that last call before he runs out the door. May 17th, at 5 a.m., Allison wakes up. She calls Claudia again. And unfortunately, Allison learns that Ray still has not returned. He's not come home, and it's now been overnight. Yeah. Claudia doesn't say, you know, oh, I heard him come in, and then he left again. No, he he never came back, according to the house guest. Allison then decides this might be some type of an emergency. Something really weird is going on. So she decides to leave her work trip early and head home. A frantic Allison returned home, and by this point, the house guest Claudia has left. She left sometime that morning. Allison is quoted as saying that Claudia, quote, had her own drama, end quote. Again, another thing that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it could be a something. more details here, please. It could be something as simple as she just happened to be staying there that night and she doesn't want her, you know, her, her information out there. She doesn't want, you know. She doesn't want to be involved. Well, I don't know that she doesn't want to be involved, but, but she probably has some kind of private life that she may not want 
every detail that was going on in her life at that time out there. Right. When somebody says to, when somebody says she had her own drama and doesn't, uh, my imagination doesn't have to run too wild to go, well, maybe she and a significant other or somebody she's living with or for whatever reason, she needed a place to stay that night. And I don't think that it was just because she happened to be working in town that night. Mm -hmm. Usually they don't refer to work as drama. And Allison's going out of town. So, well, when people are showing up dead from your work, that I would consider that drama. Ray's brother, Angel, he gets on a plane that same day, and then the search for Ray commenced. In the next couple of days, several other family members arrive in Baltimore to assist in the search. On Saturday, May 20th, this was the video editing session that Ray booked. So he's now been gone for a couple of days and this appointment that he arranged on his own has come and passed and we still don't have any Ray Rivera. Two days later on May 22nd, Ray's car is found mid afternoon in a paid parking lot behind a building, which is near the Belvedere hotel. It's also near Stansbury and associates. So it's not really it's not really out of the realm of possibility that you would find his vehicle there. It doesn't seem like a, an entirely strange place to find the vehicle. Right. It's in an area where I, I'm also curious, like would this be an area where he's parked before for work in the past? They don't really go into detail about that, but what we do have is a parking ticket. You know, you have to pay to park there. So they have a parking ticket that confirmed that the car had been there for six days. He's missing for six days. The vehicle's been there for six days. This car somehow got to this paid parking spot the same day that Ray went missing. According to the parking attendant, this man left work at 6 p.m. that day, the day that Ray went missing. Right. He says that the vehicle that's later identified as Ray Rivera's was not there when he left that day at 6 p.m. He said that he returned to work to monitor the lot the next day, May 17th at 7 a.m. He says when he arrives at 7 a.m. on the 17th, Ray's car, Ray's vehicle was there at that time. But the four calls that he's getting, they might not be significant at all. He might have stopped writing for them, but he was still doing projects. Uh, for that company. Correct. And there's any number of reasons why those calls could have come in and had nothing to do with him going missing or later his death. Mm -hmm. Two days later on May 24th, some Oxford club employees, some reports say two employees, some say three, regardless, these would have been like one time coworkers of Ray Rivera. We said Oxford club employees the company's a little confusing on the surface. Okay. He worked, he being Ray worked for Stansberry and associates worked for Porter Stansberry. Stansberry and associates is under the parent company of Agora. Same with this Oxford club. They're under the parent company of Agora and where it gets more confusing about the calls coming into Ray's phone that day they necessarily do not have to be from Stansberry and associates. It could have been any of the companies that fall under Agora. And a lot of these share office space or have buildings uh, together, or their businesses are located on different floors of the same building, all in this same area of Baltimore, the same little intersection, really. So these three employees, one-time coworkers of Ray Rivera, on May 24th, they're out and about, and they're looking for Ray, or at least looking for clues about Ray's whereabouts in the area of the Belvedere Hotel. Keep in mind, this is not like they went way out of their way to do this. This is right by their work. The three employees go to search a parking garage that's located right by the Belvedere Hotel. While on the top level of the parking garage, one of them looks over at the roof below them and sees a hole in the roof. 
They also spot what they believe to be flip-flops, a phone, and eyeglasses. They immediately call law enforcement, and detectives go to the Belvedere. Ray's body is found lying face-up, wedged against a wall in an unused portion of the Belvedere. Yeah, isn't it just used for maybe special events or something? It could be. It's a little unclear to me because I've seen it referred to as a conference room, as a banquet hall. I've also, at one point, the guy on Unsolved Mysteries, who eventually becomes the property manager over the Belvedere, Right. Refers to it as the, uh, what does he call it? Like the old, the old racquetball court or the old tennis. He calls it something that seems, seems strange, but it may have been that at one time and then repurposed for something else later. Mm -hmm. Regardless, this is not an area that people frequently go into. It's a locked door, a locked space that you have to believe has been unused from the time that Ray went missing until they find his body, his lifeless body there lying face up against the wall. And it appears he came through the roof, that hole that we just talked about, which created a 40-inch diameter hole in the roof. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of layers that you'd need to go through to go through a roof. Yeah, he's not a small man. No. He's listed at what, six foot four, six foot five, and about 250 pounds? Yeah, and if he jumped from the hotel one would assume that he could go through the roof. Yeah, depending on what height he fell from or jumped from or was pushed from. I mean, that's where you start getting into, well, why did this happen and how did it happen? Yeah, it's crazy. Now, all three of those employees that we mentioned that were involved in actually helping to find Ray, they were sent off to the police station. And, of course, they were... They gave statements at that time. According to Allison and a retired detective, a now retired detective, still active at the time, and some others, they all say that shortly after Ray's body is found, that Porter Stansberry, Ray's longtime friend, he becomes uncooperative. Where before, when Ray was simply missing, that he was cooperating and he was involved in the search for Ray. Right. He even offered up a $1,000 reward for information leading to his missing friend. But they say, you know, as soon as the body was found, magically now, this guy doesn't seem to want to be involved in any of the discussions into what could have happened to Ray. Yeah, which is very suspicious that you'd be, I'm offering money if you can find him. It's almost like in the way in which he finds him, that that lets Porter know something. You see what I'm saying? Oh, he. this is a, a murder or a possible murder or a murder where somebody's trying to make it look like suicide. I know who did this. I know who's capable of this. I know what circle that these individuals are running around in because this is my business. And... So these guys that did this to Ray are capable of doing this to me. So I need to not be involved and I need to keep my mouth shut or I could be next. That's interesting that you say that. And I like that you say that because I've always found, look, many people are suspicious of, of Porter and his behavior and what his, is his involvement in this whole mess. Mm -hmm. There's no question about that. But what I find to be weird is I get why people question his actions and are suspicious of him, but I also would like for everybody to keep in mind that if Porter knew in advance what happened to Ray and why, or if Porter was involved Mm -hmm. in what happened to Ray and why, he knows that the body is very close to him in proximity. Right. So it seems strange to flip this behavior from cooperating when he's not found to not cooperating when found. So to give a little background here to those that don't know the area from the place that Ray parked his car. Well, we don't know that he parked it, but from where his vehicle was found in that paid parking lot, it is going to bring up my notes here. Do they not have any cameras in this parking lot? 
Nobody has referenced cameras in this parking lot at any time. Drives me nuts. So if you were to walk from his from that parking spot where the vehicle was found, that parking lot, it's a one minute walk to the Belvedere Hotel. If you were to walk from that parking lot to his old place of work, Stansbury Research, it's a two minute walk. Mm-hmm. So all of this stuff is really within the same intersection of Baltimore. Hold on a second. This is a whole Porter Stansberry. It sounds like a douchey rich character from a John Hughes movie or something from the eighties. According to Allison and the now retired detective and some of the others that say that they find Porter to be uncooperative immediately after the body is found. They say that Porter is not returning the detective's phone calls. And when the detective tries to contact employees at the office, he is told by company lawyers that employees are not allowed to speak with him. Right. He claims that this is some type of gag order. Allison said that Porter spoke directly to her and that he told her that he doesn't want to speak to the police and fears that they will be against him due to his prior SEC investigation. This is all this is all a bit messy right here in this because it is true that Porter and the company were under investigation at the time by the SEC. Right. To be 100% clear though, we should point out that this investigation was an ongoing one that started before Ray even moved to Baltimore, before he started working at Stansberry and Associates. Right. It's just a bullshit excuse. And it was still going on after Ray's death. Mm-hmm. It might be a bullshit excuse, but we're we're not hearing this directly from Porter. We're hearing we're hearing it secondhand as to why he says he doesn't want to speak with police. That they might oh they might be suspicious of him because there's already a government agency looking at him and his company for misdealings previous to this. Right, right. This is so strange because when you when I finished the episode of watching unsolved mysteries you you go this this character this porter character is is extremely interesting and extremely suspicious but like i said it's like well did he have something to do with this and if he did why would he be so involved initially in the search unless that was a cover up and then once they found ray that he decided that he needed to be less involved or more fingers would point to him. I, I believe that there is a reason that Porter brought his friend out there from Baltimore, not just to help him. Hey, come out here. There's great opportunities for you. But I think there was some opportunities that got them in trouble, got them into situations that they couldn't handle. And I think that's why Ray was so concerned, you know, about people that he worked with dying. Well, that one person. Right, right. To say people makes it sound like they're dropping like flies over at Stansberry and Associates. Old Stansberry and Associates, they're dropping like, that's their motto. And again, we're dropping like flies. We have zero information on that car accident other than this man died in, in Africa. That's a whole, that's a whole freaking continent. Like we don't, we don't even have a statement that narrows it down to a specific country. Right. So it seems a very, but it also seems like in a sense that this is staged to make it seem like he committed suicide, that he jumped off the, the building or maybe he was thrown off the building. Who knows? But if it was a possible suicide, then why would Porter just, you know, pack it in and cut off all communication with uh, law enforcement. Again, it's the description of a select few people that are saying that that's what went down and how it went down. Yeah. As you've pointed out in plenty of our other cases, there's two sides to every story. Three. Well, you, we, we can argue that we've, we have in the past, but sometimes there's just two. There's, his and hers and the truth. And sometimes one of those people are telling the truth that leaves two. other cases. You do have two stories. And then the truth is somewhere else out there. 
Right. That could be the situation here. I don't know. But I have worked for companies in the past where there is something, some news tidbit that hits the papers. And I have been told this by several different companies that if so-and-so contacts you, that you are to refer them to such and such. And that's so, so nondescriptive, but well, I get your point. Right. Like, I mean, you and yada, yada, yada. No, I've been cold called by people in the media at different jobs that I've had. And they're like, we want to, Hey, uh, just so-and-so here from channel yada, yada. four. So-and-so here from the Columbus dispatch. Just want to ask you about blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And you're not supposed to speak to that because they've hired and paid someone to give the official statement of the company and people can look into that and look at it with a, with a, a cross eye or whatever, and, and say that this is suspicious behavior, but it happens everywhere all the time, which doesn't necessarily mean that it is suspicious. I think we should also direct something to, or dive into something too in regards to the Belvedere hotel, because people that do not know this case might be a little confused by the term hotel. The Belvedere at one point was a hotel in Maryland and it was built in 1902 and 1903. It's a, probably a historic landmark in Baltimore by this time. But in 1991, it was converted into condominiums. So some of the, some of the building remains open to the public from my understanding, but the majority of the building is now privately owned by these homeowners yeah last week's case was strange and this one is already very strange and we have so much more to go well and this starts off as a missing persons case and eventually his body is found but again it is the how and why he got there yeah like he was just shot out of the sky through that roof into that room such a crazy case and i want to hear from you so go to our website truecrimegarage.com and go to our blog and let us know what you think of this case and join us back here in the garage tomorrow for more garage action until then be good be kind and don't litter This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.